0: Today on the podcast, I talk to David Shreer. He's an American futurist author and entrepreneur. He also edits the MIT Connection Science imprint of MIT Press and is the author of various industry books in the fields of financial tech, digital identity, data governance, and financial innovation. And he's also an AI expert. It's not the first time we've talked about AI on Unleashcast, and it's not going to be the last, such as its importance and the varied nature of which it's applied across all the areas that we talk about across Unleash. So it's a great conversation. We go over the, a little bit of the history of AI and um, where it's going in the future. This is cast Do enjoy our latest conversation. We're tackling a, a rather large subject. It's one that kind of cuts across the four areas that we talk about generally, being HR tech, learning and skills, talent, future of work. AI is going to play a huge part in all of those things. When we were sorting this out, one of the areas that we sort of thought might be good to start the discussion was around the digital skills gap. How can AI play a part in that? And Well, also, how can HR play a part in the closing of the digital skills gap to you?
1: Yeah, well, I think perhaps it's best to start with it with the second part of the question and work backwards. So how can HR help close the digital skills gap? And and the reason why I say that is, all, all that is, is a path to an end, right? It's a means to an end. The people who are actually driving it are, are um, in part and in in large part, uh, the learning and development organizations and the HR function within within companies, because they're they're tasked with kind of stewarding the the human capital of the organization. And and so, what is important and what I think um, needs to assume a greater sense of urgency, is the role that HR can play in bridging the, the digital skills gap, right? So we are in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution. We are gonna see labor dislocation over the next five to 10 years that is um, precedented, but it's precedented in a scale that that's you know uh, um, similar to the first industrial revolution where you had entire industries that became obsolete, entire new industries that were created. And, and so we need a, a workforce that can accommodate that what's different and what hr a needs to catch up with and b all these technologies i was talking about can help solve is that the pace of change is much more rapid than it ever has been before and so we need uh, new ways of getting effectively more knowledge into people's heads uh, than we used to be able to have and so ai is
0: is the driver of this uh, isn't it you know it's definitely come on in Leaps and bounds recently, and I, obviously we know that it's a technology that's been around and been, been utilized uh, practically for, you know, uh, decades really, but it's playing much, much, much more of a part now. Do you think perhaps the pandemic has changed things or w- was it a natural evolution and it was going to be becoming more popular and more widespread anyway?
1: Yeah, so, so let me break that down into three parts. Um, first of all, AI is both the problem and the solution. <laughs> so, on the one hand, AI is driving a lot of labor dislocation and could be anywhere from 50% to, in, in the minds of some, more than 99% uh, labor dislocation. Uh, so, so, it is it is changing everything and will continue to change everything. On the other hand. Um, AI tools um, can help you acquire new knowledge faster and pivot into being an AI-enabled executive. So, so AI is both the, the, the cause and the cure, uh, if you would. Um, all right, so that's just sort of framework point one. Framework point two is, um, you know yes, AI has been around for a long time. I mean, arguably, modern AI was invented by Alan Turing in the 1940s to help crack the Enigma code uh, that that um, uh, was extant during World War II. Uh, so so at, at Blackley Park, you know, the crypto researchers created the first AI machine. Um, so so uh, um, so that is true. But on the other hand, AI has only really been useful for a wide array of applications. Just in the past 10 or 15 years. I mean, I I wrote my first AI program in 1991, and and it it was sort of an interesting academic novelty, but it didn't actually do anything terribly useful. Um, And and so, you know, AI was constrained by the limits of the technology up until, you know, deep learning really came into its fore. And the big breakthrough there is, you know, with with older style of AI, particularly machine learning, you could pour data into the system, and the system would get better up to a point and then it would plateau and you'd pour more data in and the system wouldn't get any better. With deep learning, the more data you put in, the better it gets. And this has led to a whole array of things that are noticeably improving how everything from you know, speech recognition in your phone works to the kind of movie recommendations that Netflix makes for you. Um, so there was a change that happened only you know in relatively recent terms, uh, maybe even the last seven years around 2015, when Google started to open source uh, their TensorFlow library, that that we started to see transformational AI versus narrow specific use case AI or, or novelty AI. Finally, we come to the the sort of the pandemic uh, dividend, right? And I'll call it that because the pandemic obviously caused a lot of problems, a lot of economic dislocation or disruption, but it also, opened up new possibilities. And one of the things that it did is it showed people that remote working really could work well. Um, And so, uh, um, you know, people are are really liking this new flexibility that is possible with digital technologies. I'm not going to restrict it to AI because there are other things that enable this remote working or digital revolution, but AI is certainly part of it. And so for example you and I are, are talking now so if this is a podcast obviously people can only hear my voice but uh, you and I are talking now and we're using uh Zoom and and you know our backgrounds are blurred you know that background blur uh is is a is a machine learning driven artifact that essentially says even when you're at home you can kind of professionalize the environment a little bit so so you know if I if I remove the background blur you know you would see the the, the picture of my kids with, you know, on, on, on my mantle there. And, you know, some people might find that charming, but some people might find that distracting. And so let's sort of put everybody in a neutral workspace so we can focus on each other rather than on the cool picture behind me. Um, so, so, so yes, uh, um, AI has been around for a while. Yes, things have changed within the last seven years. And yes, COVID has dramatically accelerated the adoption of digital technologies including AI. So in addition to sort of the remote workforce piece of like now we can all work at a distance and that creates all sorts of new and interesting problems for HR functions to manage when you've got a fully remote workforce. Um, But also uh, um, it creates the potential for um, more digitization. There are a bunch of businesses that more rapidly adopted digital technology that displaced humans. And they did so during, during COVID because they were forced to.
0: One thing you also, um, actually, no, let's let's go back a little bit. Would it be possible for the benefit of, uh, well, not least myself, but to give us, give me a kind of um, layman's terms, potted history of deep learning, because this, this is something that you mentioned that sort of has changed the way that AI has been used and implemented.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, so there are, let's say three major categories of artificial intelligence. So first of all, let's define what is artificial intelligence. People throw around the, the term, but what does it really mean? Artificial intelligence is a machine that thinks like a human. And, and the reason why I lean into that definition of artificial intelligence is a, is a machine that thinks like a human, you can almost imagine the, the air quotes around thinks, it, is that um you know we don't know if it actually, these things are actually capable of true cognition even now it's a fascinating philosophical discussion but they do a a really good job of simulating like they are thinking like a human being or or thinking at all maybe they're thinking in ways that are not like a human being um and and but they're still thinking at a level comparable to human intelligence if not superior to it and and so uh, alan turing uh, in in his a seminal paper, uh, The Imitation Game, um, posited that what is known as the Turing test, which says, let's say we couldn't see each other, we just could hear each other's voices, or maybe we're just typing back and forth to each other. Um, How do you know that you're talking to me and not to a machine? If you can't tell the difference, that machine passed the Turing test. And it's gotten more sophisticated over the years, but that's the basic idea. So people have elaborated the Turing test as as AI has gotten more sophisticated, the test has gotten more sophisticated. But the basic idea always was, could a machine fool a human being into thinking that they were talking to another human being? And, And what's interesting is the first AI that was able to pass the Turing test was invented in the mid 1960s, okay? So this was an expert system, which is our first major category of AI. Expert systems are rules-based AIs that, that basically you have to program everything that the AI does very explicitly. And so there's some human expert that's putting their expertise into a machine. Um, and, and so and kind of interesting side note, the, the first AI to pass the Turing test was, was um, a digital psychiatrist called Eliza. And it was specifically constructed by an MIT researcher who thought that psychiatry was all um, bogus. And so he wanted to make fun of psychiatrists. And so he created this little bot and and people interacted with it and insisted that it was actually a human being. And they were pouring their hearts out to this this little engine. That engine, that Eliza is is the ancestor of our modern day chatbot. Okay, so expert systems, first kind of AI, then we got into machine learning, which was this idea that we could create um, machines that sort of had a, a neural network in a way. They had like a, a um, an engine that could that did not need to be explicitly programmed and could acquire knowledge by repetition of data coming into it. Um, And that led to, for example, the original facial recognition algorithms that came about in the 1980s and a number of other interesting applications of artificial intelligence. And that was sort of a first wave of innovation and it was going along for a bit, but then it sort of plateaued. So for example, I remember in the late 1990s there were all these speech engines like Nuance, uh, dragons, naturally speaking. There are these things where you could talk to the machine and it would write down your words. It would turn speech into data. And, and the, those systems were limited because you had to train them. It was annoying to use. You had to like read a very specific script that they gave you for the machine to understand you. Um, and, and that's illustrative of the overall problem of these general machine learning systems, although we still use machine learning today. Sometimes it's quite suitable for certain applications. But then people started trying to figure out how to stack layers of computation on top of each other in a, in a computational model that resembled how the human brain is interconnected. You know. So we went, and I'll be, use a very gross metaphor, we went from two-dimensional to three-dimensional. And by adding that complexity to the system, the system was able to take on a lot more data and get a lot more sophisticated. And that's why starting in 2015 or so, you started to see more and more useful things happen with AI. Uh, And so, for example, now I can talk into my phone without having to train it. I just pick it up straight out of the box, start talking to it, and it will understand me pretty well, actually.
0: I've got one last question, and it's about, I guess, the more practical aspects in terms of skills. So one thing you mentioned was uh, how AI can help in individuals' uh, skills acquisition. And then how HR can support that because so could you talk a little bit about that in terms of where that's going with with skills acquisition and AI?
1: We find that the most powerful kind of AI and I when I say we I mean not just myself but a whole group of researchers including uh, a number of folks at the MIT Media Lab uh, led by Sandy Pentland, uh, Professor Alex Pentland and, and others that um, uh, and Alex Pentland is is responsible for. Uh, teaching a lot of people about how people analytics works. so like the entire people analytics group from Google, uh, in my personal observation, has taken a lot of inspiration from him and, and hired people directly out of his PhD program and things like that. Um, so, so Sandy Pentland uh, um, uh, uncovered some critical insights uh, among others, that um, you can make something, a very powerful system that combines humans and machines. And that system, that human-machine hybrid, is able to do things neither AI nor people can do alone. And he's used it to do things like predict the stock market and other future events. And the other thing he's used it for, though, is um, to help people learn faster and better and have immediate applicability of what they've learned to work. And so what happens is you learn with others. So collaborative learning is much more powerful and leads to much greater retention and application than solo learning. And so it's the number one failure mode of online learning, right, it's the number one thing that massively open online courses do poorly. To be honest,
0: we could talk maybe for two, three hours about all this, couldn't we? Um, there's so many applications now of AI. We've, we've covered it before, and I've no doubt that we'll cover it again, uh, a, a different aspect of how it can affect these four kind of areas of content that we cover at Unleash. But um, yeah, for now, uh, David, thanks so much for, for talking to Unleash Plus today.
1: Thank you so much. It's been great to do it.